This is EdTech Weekly. I'm your host, Ricky Zager, and we have a very special show tonight. Got a lot of firsts on the show. First of all, I am on the road somewhere in the mountains of North Carolina, uh, which is a little frightening in and of itself. Uh, We also have a new guest host tonight joining us, which we're really excited about. Um, And um, it's also the first time we've had three people on the show together at the same time because Matt is back with us again. Matt, welcome back to the show. Glad to be back. Well, we're glad to have you, and I know the listeners are too, Matt. You bring, oh, that extra humor that we just miss without you. And, Matt, we had one of our listeners contact us a while ago, and we've finally gotten together with her and that is Christy. Christy, welcome to the show. Hey, yeah, welcome. Yeah, thanks for having me. Um, we've been trying to do this for, gosh, a couple of months now, so glad it, glad it worked out. You didn't have to throw me under the bus like that, Christy, right away. You didn't have to say, my organizational skills are that bad. That's how I know that this is going to work. <laughs> Not at all. Just vacation schedule for me, so thank You're- you for for me. You're fitting right in already. Way to go. Um, And I did want to, as if I don't really feel like I need to at this point because I feel like you guys are already bonding, but I do have a little story that I think Matt is going to instantly connect with you on here. Matt, I did not tell you this. Uh, It's been a few weeks now that I've, I've, I've known this, but I've been keeping it from you because of my pride. But one of the first times uh, Christy emailed me and contacted the show she made a reference to the call-in number (laughs) and said, but really, who leaves voicemails anymore anyway? Exactly. Yeah. Sorry, I don't know whose idea the voicemail is, but who talks on the phone these days? Wow. Just She's sticking the knife in me, and she just keeps twisting it, Matt. Already, you guys are going to be good friends. Ricky or Matt, so no, didn't know. Well... It was me, and he's been giving me a hard time for quite some time about it. But let's move on now that we have this kindling <laughs> friendship happening behind my back here. Okay, first of all, let's begin with our first story, and that is EdTech Magazine bringing us our first Pokemon story in EdTech Weekly History. So many firsts. This story explains ways that higher ed is actually having fun with Pokemon craze. Uh, police have been tweeting about it. Universities are using it to entice prospective students among other things. Matt, have you played yet? Um, I have gotten the game to load a couple of times, but not that often. Uh, The game is pretty cool. Um, I have a girl in my office who plays it, and on her lunch break walks around the sundial in downtown St. Pete to catch different Pokemon. Um, Earlier you called it Pokemon. That was incorrect. Uh, You shouldn't do that. Oh, sorry. Whoops. Um, But uh, secondly, the idea of schools getting involved in something like this to their students... um, are you know adapting um to their campus and being able to go and do different things i've seen stories about um usf some students have been going around and putting different pokemon in different areas using the lures there to get students to go to different areas um they actually had done a recent story about a hospital up in um wisconsin that was at their all children's facility there using pokemon to get kids who were um, trying to go through uh, treatment uh, to be able to get up and walk around and have fun and do stuff like that. So it's a social phenomena. I mean, I've never really 
been a huge Pokemon fan. Um, I really still don't understand it, despite the fact that I call my daughter Pikachu all the time. Um, <laughs> but it's it's a really, really cool game, and it gets people interested. What I'm really going to love to see is their direction and how they monetize it. Already, the app has made a lot of changes as far as like, you know, how you can interact with it, how you can do certain things. You can feed it pebbles and it hatches or something that part you got me on but businesses have already seen some coffee shops saying i use the lure to put a pokemon there and more people come to my shop so yeah we've, it's, it's we've, just going to be an interesting structure how all this moves forward yeah we've seen all that and uh it's pretty cool and i gotta be honest there's a few people in my office that we've kind of been messing around and playing with it and having a good time christy what do you think of all this pokemon craze well, I think it's amazing how quickly it has caught on. And, you know, I, I have the game. I would not say I'm an active player. I've played the game. I think I'm still on level two or level three. So haven't been able to choose my team color yet. Uh, but I, you know, I don't, it's just truly amazing. I was walking around downtown Disney last week on vacation and you could literally not walk without bumping into someone who was playing Pokemon. Um, they must have like all been in one spot there. Um, and just an interesting lunchtime conversation today just our staff potluck luncheon in our office and wow some people are really into pokemon um and really play it and gave me some good tips um, about how to catch things and just interesting social social dynamic there and the way like that article talks about how um gosh, i forget which college but was using it just as an advertisement because kids are into it kids college kids and so it's a good way to to catch um you know, drive business to your site or just catch interest. Yeah. I mean, I think in education as teacher level, university level, whatever it might be, you know, when it comes down to it, you're trying to, you know, sort of meet students at their level, you know, kind of give them an opportunity to see what this type of technology might bring in the future you know, so there's a lot of really cool things that teachers and schools can do. And I think, you know, just to write it off as this silly thing and, and not try it, or at least not try to, you know, incorporate some concepts in it as we move forward would be a mistake, I think, for technology and education in general. All right, let's get to our next story. This is from Ed Scope, Ed Scoop, sorry. It explains what happened when Guru an interactive learning dashboard and leadership public schools, which is a charter school network that started in 2002 teamed up to solve a huge math deficiency problem with some of their incoming students. Um, we'd have tons of stories about the importance of ed tech and schools collaborating. And Matt and I know have, have harped on this a lot in the past. And in this case, it's had some positive and, and measurable results. Christia, I think you have some at least experience or knowledge with what this is. Can you explain a little bit more about Guru and what it does and what exactly it does that teachers have troubles doing? Yeah, well, I'll preface it with I've never actually used Guru, but when I read the article, I went to the site, watched a little video and learned a little bit about it. So, you know, I really think it highlights what technology can do for already sound educational practices. Um, and it's based really on three steps. It uh, looks like a formative assessment. Um, and using those results, students are assigned activities targeted to the skills that they need. And then three, students study at their own pace with instant feedback. And really without technology, teachers can't give this level of personalization to all students in their class. So really whether it's a guru or another vendor or another tech tool, I really do think this is, is an example of what technology can do for education. 
Well, that's really good. And that's interesting. I, I hadn't uh, gone that far into it. And uh, Matt, I think we've been one up already because there's some research being done on this show. And yeah. our listeners are not used to that. <laughs> Sorry, I'll tone it down. <laughs> yeah, I, this is you already. Uh, out. It's the first time I've seen it. Research? Yeah. What is that again? That's, that's well, odd. Matt, specifically. We... Ill, ill-formed ill-formed uh, opinions about stuff and spout them out and. I mean, she didn't go like, I guess I didn't really look into it, uh, phrases that I often use. So, I mean, this is already looking good for the show. Uh, Matt, what about reproduction of this for other schools, other school districts? Do you have any concerns just looking at how it's done? Um, I, I really don't have any concerns about the reproduction. I, I think uh, it being on a smaller scale probably helps quite a bit. And, you know, the article does talk about how they've tried to develop other things in the past and it didn't really seem to work that well. There is one thing that I sort of noticed in the article itself. Um, Thomas Arnett, the uh, studies author, says technology can help enhance learning but not replace teachers or instruction. And as, um, as, a, as an idea, I guess to the two of you that work more closely in education, uh, Christy, probably you being in the forefront, is this an idea that is pervasive through whenever like new technologies are brought forth into teachers? Do they automatically think this is stealing our jobs? And if that's the case, what what needs to be done? Um, probably better, uh, maybe a PR campaign to win over teachers and students alike to get them to sort of embrace more of it. I know that when you jump into this stuff, there's a lot of bad technology that's thrown in your direction. Um, but sometimes it feels like the good technology also falls by the wayside. Yeah, yeah, you know, there's no replacement for teachers in the classroom. I don't think technology is ever going to, at least I hope not, replace that. But it certainly changes the role of the teacher, I think. And so really when it comes down to personalization, um, which is where education is headed right now, in order, you know, you've got 30 kids in your class trying to meet every kid where they're at. Um, just can't do in a traditional classroom setup as efficiently as you can with tech tools. So, you know, I, I see it as teachers working small group with a group of kids on, you know, a, a like skill and the other kids are still getting high quality instruction, but they're getting it from a computer and then they rotate. And so they still get in with the teacher. Um, so I would never want to see teachers go away, but I do understand that, you know, that is a, I think a common myth out there is that, you know, will computers replace teachers? And I would say absolutely not. Would you yeah, I mean, be? you guys, you guys both. Oh, sorry, Matt. You guys both bring up like really, I think, really awesome points. The first is that technology a lot of time gets this like, oh no, it's going to replace us, and it doesn't really do anything because a lot of times bad technology gets in there. And then you know, one of the really good things about it, as Christy mentioned, is you know, if you get the opportunity to take some things off your plate as a teacher that can be done via a, you know, a program, computer program, then you can actually focus on what you really are good at anyway, which is teaching. You don't have to focus on some of the specializations. If that can be done on a computer, you can still work with the students like that, but you don't have to actually set all that up, which I think would make things a lot easier. And I wanted to point out, um, Christy does have a blog and I'm, I'm thinking she'll probably share it um, at the end of the show, but I really, I was reading some of the articles that she posted and, and I think this quote may have some implications here that I think 
are pretty cool. Uh, she says, we have to think differently and use tech differently. We can't apply the same teaching strategies and simply do them on a computer. And I think that really speaks to what you're kind of saying here is, you know, we have to find use technology to do these things that can help enhance teaching, but it certainly doesn't take away what teaching is. And I really think that's an important concept to, to realize is that technology isn't there to just do the same things that we can do on a chalkboard or on a piece of paper. It's there to, or, or just what teachers do, it's there to enhance those things and make it easier to focus on the important stuff. Does anybody have any other follow-up on that? Well, first off, impressive you read my blog, so thanks. <laughs> Listen, I did a little bit of research, just a very little bit. <laughs> you're probably the third person to do that, so thanks. <laughs> Well, listen, you're probably the third person to listen to our show, so I felt like it was a nice thing to do. <laughs> All right, guys, well, let's get into our last story, uh, last news story of the week here, and that's our final story from EdTech Magazine, and they tell us that Facebook has committed $15 million, million to Code.org. Matt, we talk a lot about coding and its importance. Um, do you think that simply Facebook putting $15 million towards Code.org is going to get the results that they're really trying to, to benefit from here or trying to get here? Um, yeah, I think that's a hefty amount of money. Um, if only they could bring sharks with laser beams attached to their heads, uh, that would be the yes. next thing. Um, but no, I think it's a, it's, a, it's a great amount of money, and Code.org actually seems to be one of the more well-run organizations out there. Um, it's a nice thing to see that there's a big push for Facebook. They talk about trying to be more inclusive um, in their own uh, company. Uh, it When they highlight their own numbers, it does make you feel you know like it's 2016 shouldn't we be a little bit further than this but you know they are moving forward yeah so. yeah you know when you talk about just getting the amount of people to code i i was listening to this really cool book audio book and will wheaton is actually the uh, voice who's reading it and it's called ready set play i don't know if either of you have heard of this but it's kind of set in the future and there's this like online world that people are sort of living in. And I thought, I just found it interesting because he says he was looking for a job. And when he applied for a job, he said I could get low level grunt building work. And he was referring to building like blocks using code for cities that were being built online. So I just thought that was interesting. The sort of the, the parallel of coding is it's sort of such an a base thing that's happening in the future that you're going to have levels of people like, okay, you're only you, you sure, you know, coding, but only enough to build blocks that we're going to put in a building. And then there's people who are really working on the high level algorithm. So I just thought that was kind of interesting as we're getting into this coding conversation. And Christy, I know that, you, you know, it's really a passion of yours, um, you know, coding. And so I'd love to hear what your reaction to this news is and, and any other insights you have on that. Yeah, well, I really love the lead-in sentence in this article, and it really is, you know, a street, from our last conversation. It, it starts with reshaping the workforce of tomorrow requires expanding educational opportunities today. And I thought, wow, that is that is just perfect um, and a perfect tie to what we were just talking about. Yeah, definitely have a passion for coding. Um, would love to learn more myself of how to do it. Um, I've tried to teach myself. You know, I've gone to the code.org site and I chose Ruby on Rails to try and teach myself. It is hard to do, um, you know, as far as learning a programming language. I don't know if anyone else has any experience trying to do it themselves. But, you know, I really do think coding is or can be the new foreign or modern language. You know, students are taking uh, Spanish in classrooms today, but 
perhaps soon we'll see coding as a new language um, that counts for you know, college applications. And I really do think um, not everyone needs to know how to code to do their job, but knowing the language of coding will allow you to be better at your job. And so I think that's just an interesting thought and shift as far as um, you know, what are the skills we are teaching our students and what they're going to need in the world. We're not all going to go work for Facebook, but having the knowledge of coding, we can be better at whatever job that is. Um, the article mentions the Hour of Code initiative, and yes, I, I'd really like to see a coding for all initiative, especially the article talks about, you know, the reason Facebook investing so much, um, $15 million, is to get, um, you know, minorities and women into this this area. And so, you know, let's see, coding for all initiative. Um, and some sort of base requirement, maybe for all students to have some exposure to it. So I know at our school district, um, all students as part of um, their senior year, we call it a, like a senior project class, they at least have exposure to coding. Um, and that's really just to kind of whet the appetite. And really much like keyboarding is an essential skill now, can coding be that that same way. So yes, keyboarding, and then now all students know how to code. Uh, code.org is a great free resource for schools to use. Um, I know we use it here as well as some others. And you know, really, this is a great investment for Facebook um, as they need more qualified employees. Yeah, no, I mean, I think you say some great points there. And to answer your question about coding, I've done the same. Um, you know, gone through code.org, other other coding, and tried to learn it. I know Matt is far more experienced, so I can let him speak on that a little bit if he'd like to chime in here as well. Oh, um, yeah, no, I've I've done Code Academy uh, quite a few times for a lot of their different stuff. I actually find that going to the subreddit Learn Programming, um, they have a guy who just sits there and chronicles all of the free things out there for different low languages so php html css ruby on rails java i mean they go through the whole thing and they're a lot of them are college level um but they go all the way to what i would have gone through when i was in college of 1101 type courses just understanding and explaining theory um to you so there's a lot of really really great stuff and you know it doesn't hurt that my job kind of requires me to understand a basis of html and php and using command line. So that's probably the only reason it's probably stuck as long as it has. Um, yeah, well, and I think, you know, I, th I think it's cool that we've kind of shown that initiative to try to learn that stuff. And I think that that's always an option, but when it comes down to it, I don't think we can ignore anymore that this is something that everyone should be exposed to on some level. I don't know about everyone has to be required to learn how to code, but the exposure, I think, definitely should be so um, because if you just aren't exposed to it you don't really know if it's something that you can actually use and take off with so I think that's a good start and I know going on now we have our featured segment which we'll get into some of this a little bit more and this the segment is something that Christy wanted to talk about and Matt and I have learned here on EdTech Weekly that when our listeners who's turned guest hosts say they want to do something we're going to let them do it and that is mostly because Meredith scared us uh, we thought she might beat us up I think if we didn't let her so because of that precedent, take it away, Christy. Let us know what this featured segment is. Well, thanks. And uh, yeah, excited to talk about more coding and really using Spiros to teach young kids to code. And so, uh, you know, got this idea from a key rock star camp that I went to last spring and heard about some other schools using 
um, little robots. You know, um, they're Spheros. Are you guys familiar with the what those are? Yeah, okay. I am not. I actually watched your YouTube video with your students doing it in class too. So. Yeah, you've done a lot of research. Okay, yeah, so, I, I watched the video, but I. Okay. Yeah, so it's just that little tiny ball. It's about the size of a baseball, and you program it with your device. Um, you download the app to your iPhone or iPad, and you can just play with it. Um, I will say I have raced around our district office with my tech guy, um, just playing. Um, <laughs> That's awesome. But really, it's also can you know a learning tool, and so using either the Tickle app or the Spark Learning Lab, really you just use the uh, building blocks uh, method to code. And so I got a couple of these for our school district, took them into our second grade classroom, worked with groups of kids. And their first thing was simply to make this little ball go straight and come right back. And so having four kids around an iPad, um, not only the tech skills, but the collaboration that they have to do in order to make that happen. And then their next step was to turn it into a square and could add changing colors. And really after about 10 minutes of just basic instruction on how to do it, the kids were off and ready to go. And my role was out of there. And so I think that is really powerful as far as, you know, turning it over to the students to let them go and do great things. That's really cool. Now, I, I know you've talked about sort of you went into a classroom and your blog, you said one of the teachers let you come in and kind of play with it with the students. Um, what is your role? Um, are you a, like a technology coach or are you an instructor? Uh, so I, for our school district, I'm director of curriculum and instruction and former principal um, for 10 years in our district, um, just with a passion for technology. So I certainly get many of those things and really want to push push us forward and keep ourselves current for our students. So yeah, I did ask a couple of teachers who um, I know would let me come in and disrupt their classroom for a little bit towards the end of the school year. Well, that's really cool. As a former K-12 instructor and also a technology coordinator, I really wish we could have had you <laughs> for support because somebody who's that excited and interested in doing stuff is only good for everyone who's underneath them and has the opportunity to sort of play with that and learn that stuff. Um, what you don't want to have is somebody who's not willing to try new things. So that's really cool. And I, I commend you on that. That's awesome. Yeah. Another segment, I'll tell you about our one-to-one -one rollout plan, but that's another topic. Um, I like it. Already planning for the next segment. Well done. I love it. <laughs> getting myself in. My question to you two with probably far more experience of coding, you know, to make that switch from the, you know, the beginning stages of coding, it's, you know, it is really an elementary model using the Tickle app and the, the that building blocks to code.org. You know, where do we, you know, when is it appropriate to make that switch? Middle school, high school? What do you guys think? Matt, do you want to take a stab at that first? I have a couple thoughts, but um, yeah, you want to go first. I think I found something on Reddit a couple of days ago that actually might explain that could do that. Yeah, so um, one of the things that I tried to look into because I started a coding club at a middle school and worked with a teacher when I was a, a technology coordinator for the district, just trying to get it to be kind of furthered. And we were kind of looking into that, like what's the leveling and how do you do that? There's some actually some pretty cool. Um, resources in terms of programs but i didn't find any that were free unfortunately that kind of helped walk through that process but especially um the stage between just sort of wetting their appetite with something like sphero to actually getting to like a code.org is a lot of almost um sort of structured algorithm type 
things so that they understand the concept of solving problems using commands. And they don't have to be actual coding. It can just be like move this, you know, that, but not in the context of necessarily a code.org, but just getting them to understand that process of solving a problem through instructions and then that next step. So I would say, you know, early middle school, you'd want to be there and then moving into, I mean, you can start, I mean, I've seen kids in in middle school and even elementary school, late ages do fairly well with something like code.org, but it's just, you know, what, how do you get to that next step? And and that I'm not really sure about. And Matt, maybe you have some more info. Um, well, the article I was trying to find actually just ended up having five apps and how to learn how to do that. Um, uh, for me, you know, I, I think um, probably middle school is one of the best times uh, to do it just because you can start getting into some mathematical ideas that exist behind coding. Um, but early on, you can, I, I'd say, any time to second grade, third grade, fourth grade would probably be a really, really good time to talk about um you know, using blocks of functions to in order to build certain other things and using that sort of as that building block functionality that can later come in with math theory that exists um, and then start building on that and building on that. Um, the one thing I will say um, is keep it open uh, to probably languages that are easily accessible across the board. Um, every once in a while, a new programming language will pop up and they'll say, this is the next great thing. Um, and it ends up sort of being really, really difficult to sort of pivot, um, from. So if, you know, I'm used to PHP, HTML, CSS, and C plus, I don't know that I'm necessarily going to go jump into something else, uh, that has a kind of different methodology that exists behind that. So finding certain languages that speak and do well with one another. Um, does help quite a bit. And do you have any suggestions for those type of languages? PHP. I, I PHP really is, C plus is a really, really great one. Also, just command basic command line functionality. Um, I probably on Linux more than anybody should ever talk about Linux at any point. Um, but really understanding command line and how to open programs from command line um, really can give you a good idea about how to do certain things. Um, when you're opening a program, let's say, you know, when I was in, um, middle school, my parents got a laptop and had no idea how to get into windows. And I figured out how to do, you know, how to get into windows from there. And it just understanding how to open and close programs really helped me a lot. Understanding how to open up uh, VI, um, in Linux and play around with that. I was never a big proponent of Macs at any point in my job that I'm at now, you know, that's all they ever worked with. But having that background knowledge of Linux and how everything works made it a lot easier for me to be able to still maintain that functionality that I, I really, really need for my job, um, but also work within a really pretty GUI that doesn't ever break. So I guess to answer your question, no, we really don't not have any clue. real concrete answers for you. <laughs> we both talked a lot about some things, but I'm not sure we answered your question. But I do know that I'm watching pretty closely uh, Swift Language and Apple's app that's coming out that they're giving out for free that's supposed to help address uh, some of that, like leveling for people like children especially to learn more and more about coding. But again, going to what Matt said, I'm not sure that language, although it seems to be something that's, you know, important and may stick around, you know, I don't know that that's the case either. So PHP or something like that may, may be the way to go. Did, did you glean anything at all from what we said, Christy? Well, you gave me several things to look up. So thank you. (laughs) 
Okay, good. Well, hey, sometimes that's all that, that matters, and you do some research, and, and you'll figure it out. Um, Christy, you are, you've, you're amazing. You did an excellent job on the show tonight. I'm so glad you contacted us, and I'm so glad we made this happen. Um, and I definitely want to bring you back again um, you know, as soon as we can. Um, so up to you. Um, let me know when you can and when you'd like to be involved because you definitely bring some knowledge and insight to the show that uh, I think our listeners will really enjoy. Do you have any um, things you'd like to plug? Um, can they follow you on Twitter? Where should they go? What should they look for? Yeah, I'd love to follow me on Twitter. It's uh, at Christy M. Warren. So Christy M. Warren, my middle name, Marie. Also wanted to plug um, the hashtag Kids Deserve It. Great movement on Twitter. Great book um, by Adam Welcome and Todd Neslioni. Um, had a chance to meet them at a Q Rockstar Academy last spring, and they really uh, helped get me started on some of these things. So definitely want to plug them. And um, also our local or our California Administrators Association is having a Pokemon contest on Twitter. So some of those people out in California might be interested in that. And I'd love to be back. Thanks for having me. It was great to talk with you guys and learn several things. So thanks. That's awesome. Thanks yeah. And uh, yeah, when we do the show notes, uh, go to edtechweeklyshow.com. I will put your twitter in there and i'll also put the hashtag uh, kids deserve it uh, movement for people to follow and also of course everything that we talked about on the show today will be there uh, if you want to be a part of the show much like christy uh did you can email us at edtechweekly at gmail.com uh, as we've learned today and as i've been sort of served uh earlier in the show the phone number for voicemail is probably going to be soon defunct because really um in the words of Christy, who uses voicemail anymore? Seriously. Okay, I get it. She's right. So follow me on Twitter at 4TechTeachers. And, of course, the subreddit, which I, I love, um, edtechweekly.reddit.com. Go there. Again, people have posted some things in their of their blogs. Uh, Christy, if you want to go on there and post your blog stuff as well, uh, it's just a place that we're trying to build for educators to come and share resources. And uh, hopefully it will develop into something that Matt and I never even intended it to, which would be awesome. And, of course edtechweeklyshow.com. Check it out for show notes and any other info about the show. Uh, Christy, I know you're a, a listener of the show, and as such, I'm sure you are also always excited to hear how Matt is going to end the show with his words of wisdom. Matt, do you have something for the people, for our listeners who want to hear more from you? Yes, I do. Earlier, you mentioned that you had gotten served. You had not. Being served is only through a dance-off. So we will not take the phone number down until somebody beats you in a dance competition on the uh, YouTubes or the Google Hangouts. Oh, goodness. That is my challenge well, to the listeners. If you want to stop listen, hearing about this phone number, I want a video of someone dancing and serving Ricky properly. Oh, geez. Matt, what are you What are you, What are are you? you inviting to this show? I don't know. I don't know. Anyway, Christy, once again, thank you so much for being on the show uh, we will be in contact with you because I'd love to have you as a more permanent guest host fixture whenever you're available and when we can work it out because you did a great job. And I think the uh, fans of EdTech Weekly, as few in number as they may be, will really uh, be happy that you were on the show. So thank you again so much. Matt, your words of wisdom never fail to disappoint. And we will see everyone next week on EdTech Weekly. <laughs>